going to read Psalm 110, which will be referenced in the passage we will be looking at later in the Gospel of Mark. A Psalm of David. It's very important who the author is, humanly. A Psalm of David. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. You have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up the head. Let's pray. Our Father, our Father, our Father, we are so grateful that you granted to us the privilege of calling you the creator of all things, the holy God, the merciful God, Father. As a statement of your own loving loyalty to us, we are asking that this morning, as we are gathered together, we will be truly in your presence, that you will shepherd our minds and hearts into your presence, into an, a deeper, clearer understanding of who you are, what your ways are, and that you would enable us in the week to come to walk according to the truth that you grant to us this morning, and that we would, in fact, be building one another up taking advantage of every opportunity to build one another up in the most holy faith, in our understanding of what you are like and what your ways are. We ask this of you, Good Shepherd. Amen. And now we are going to have a couple of songs. The roars will be on the screen, and you may stand or remain seated as you prefer. Now, let me warn you, uh, I am going to do an, something I've never done before. We're covering a giant passage of Scripture because, frankly, folks, it is a narrative, and there's really no good place to stop the narrative without losing the power of the narrative. The power of a story is in the story. The power of a narrative, in, as far as teaching truth, is in the narrative. And I don't want to diminish the strength of the account. Well, where we are stepping into the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, 
verse 25, excuse me, verse 27, through the close, yikes, of chapter 12, which is 44 verses. Okay, why are we doing this? Because it is one large narrative which has one giant message. So let me begin by reading the entire narrative. 11, Mark 11, 27. Then they came again to Jerusalem, meaning Jesus and the apostles. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things the day before he had cleansed the temple? (laughs) But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one question. Then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people, for all counted John to have been a prophet indeed. So they answered and said to Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus answered and said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a place for the wine vat and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard from the vine dressers. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again he sent them another servant. And at him they threw stones, wounded him in the head, and sent him away shamefully treated. And again he sent another, and they killed him and many others, beating some and killing some. Therefore, still having one son, his beloved, he also sent him to them last, saying, They will respect my son. But those vine dressers said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hands on him, but feared the multitude, for they knew he had spoken the parable against them. So they left him and went away. 
Then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. When they had come, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and care about no one, for you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. So they brought it, and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Then some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him, and they asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and dying, he left no offspring, and the second to her, and he died, took her, and he died. Nor did he leave any offspring, and the third likewise, so the seven had her, and left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had her as wife. Jesus answered and said to them, Are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the Scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But concerning the dead, that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth. For there is one God... And there is no other but he, and who love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love one another's neighbor as oneself. 
is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared answer, dared question him. Then Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, how is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore David himself calls him Lord. How is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. Then he said to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at, at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrans. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. I think as we read through this narrative, you could see why we had to keep going. This is Jesus the day before the events here. He is in the temple speaking out all of this. The day before he had come into Jerusalem, he had come into the temple, and he had cleansed the temple. He had gone in with a whip, and he had overturned the tables of the money changers. He had driven out those who were selling doves and other critters and all kinds of stuff. They had actually taken over at least two centuries before, they had taken over that part of the temple called the court of the nations, the court of the Gentiles. They'd taken it over and turned it into a store where they could sell for exorbitant prices. They could sell their goods. They could do the money exchanging because you could only give what had been granted to you by, by temple money, temple money. They had their own coinage. And so for an exorbitant exchange rate, you had to buy the temple coins before you gave to the God's work in the temple. It had become a den of thieves at least 200 years before. Jesus cleanses the temple, we know from John's gospel, on the opening of his public ministry, and then again at the close, he goes in and cleans it out again. Because it was a money machine. The high priests, Annas, and his son-in-law, not son, Caiaphas, were Sadducees. They were Sadducees, that sect of Jews who did not believe in eternal life. 
they believed that when they died, they died like a dog. They simply went out of existence and they were even out of God's reach. For that reason, they chose to say, oh, we only believe the five books of Moses are Scripture, not the rest of what's called the Old Testament or the Hebrews. No, no, only the five books of Moses. Why did they do that? Ah, well, very helpful, convenient thing for us. There's nothing about eternal life in the five books of Moses. Oh, yes, there is. They come to him and he embarrasses them. He humiliates them right in front of a large, massive crowd. He rips the mask off of them. And so it begins. He has come back into the temple. The closing paragraph of Mark chapter 11. He comes in and by what authority did you cleanse the temple yesterday? Who gave you that authority? Who gave you that authority? They know. Let me tell you something, folks. You read through the Gospels intently, deeply. Annas and Caiaphas, all of the Jewish religious leaders, knew this about Jesus of Nazareth. They knew he was the Messiah. They had every single proof. Jewish leaders stood there and watched Lazarus step out of the tomb. The high priest had actually sent a hit squad after Lazarus to murder Lazarus. It says this in the Gospel of John because he was too big a proof for Jesus. Evidence, 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 overwhelming evidence. They knew who he was, but the stupid Sadducees especially thought, oh, we can murder Messiah and we can get away with it. Now, the insanity of that is outrageous. What do we see happening in the world right now? Do we not see astonishing stupidity, foolishness, idiocy, especially among our leaders in all the nations? Shocking foolishness. You really think we can't see that? You think you're going to get away with that? Oh yeah, oh yeah, we're going to get away with it just like Nero who demanded worship. Uh, how did that work out for Nero? Not well. How did, will this work out for the Jewish religious leadership? Well, the Romans will show up and completely destroy the city and the temple. They're going to lose everything. Where do you get this authority? Well, answer this question, John the Baptist. They also knew who John the Baptist was. Remember again, the Gospel of John narrative. G John the Baptist is doing his ministry. This is before Jesus has even come out publicly as the one to whom he is pointing. Who are you? They ask. Are you Elijah? Because it says in the close of Malachi that Elijah will come. Are you this? Are you that prophet of Deuteronomy? No, I am the voice, Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. I am the herald for the king. I'm not the king. I'm not the Messiah. I am the herald, the trumpeter, the one voicing his coming, his coming, his coming. And then Jesus came. 
They knew who John the Baptist was, but they refused to acknowledge it because they are wicked fools who think they can actually outsmart God. And so Jesus says, I'm not, you are, don't, don't lie to me. You do know who he was. If you're just going to lie to me, I'm not going to give you the answer. Where do I get this authority? In fact, you know where I get this authority. This is my father's house that you've defiled. Then we have in chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, we have the parable of the wicked vine dressers. And the close of this parable is, they sought to lay hands on him, but feared the multitude, for they knew he had spoken this parable against them. So they left him and went away. Well, what does the parable say? Oh, this man created a beautiful vineyard. He put the walls around it. He, he set everything in place for the production from the grapes, for the production of wine. He set everything up, and then he leased it to some vine dressers. And then he went away into a far country, and then he sent his servant. Okay, our deal was, our contract is that I would get a percentage of the harvest. And what do they do to these servants of their master who have come to get what they had promised they would pay? Here these servants come and they harm them, they harm them, they, they beat them, they kill them, they, do all, they throw rocks at them, they do all these things. This is what the Jewish religious leaders did to the prophets. Isaiah was sawn in two. Jeremiah was murdered. He was kidnapped, taken to Alexandria, Egypt, and murdered there by the Jewish religious leaders who had fled. They murdered, they harassed, they persecuted virtually every prophet. They didn't all experience the same thing, but they all experienced rejection, rejection, rejection. Especially the leadership didn't like it. And so finally, what will happen is the, the owner of the vineyard says, I will send my son to them. And the people leasing the vineyard see the son coming. Ah, here is the son, the heir. Let's kill him. And then the vineyard will be ours. That is exact. And it says they knew he said this about them. What does this tell us about them? They know who Jesus is. They know he is God, the Son come in the flesh. They know he is Messiah. They know he is the promised king. How insane are they? The same level of insanity we're witnessing right in our own day. That's how insane they are. And they knew they sought to lay hands on him, but feared the multitude. For they knew he had spoken the parable against them. It was a perfect illustration of what was their own mindset, what their forefathers had done to the prophets. They're going to do and more so to Messiah himself, the son of the owner of the vineyard. They sought to lay hands on him, but feared the multitude, for they knew he had spoken the parable against them, so they left and went away. And then the Pharisees come, 
This is amazing. Then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. Now, this is interesting. A few chapters before this, it says of the Pharisees that they joined up with the, with the people who were aligned with Herod, Herod Antipas. Now, folks, in the Jewish culture of the first century, in, the, in this time, the, Herod Antipas is one of the most despised people in the entire Jewish culture. He is an open adulterer. He is living with the wife of his brother. <laughs> and we all know the account from Mark's Gospel where, where the daughter of the woman that he's living with, his wife's brother, comes and dances before him at his birthday party with all this crowd in front of all these invited people. And she, oh, I will give you up to half my kingdom. I'm so pleased by, what, by your dance. What do you want? She goes to her mother and says, what should I ask for? Ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And so she goes to her supposed father and says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And he is so chagrined. He is so unhappy. But he said it in front of a crowd of people. He can't not give her in his own mind. Can't give her what she's, a, not give her what she's asked for. So he, he follows through. He follows through. And the Pharisees, the most religious, the people with the most holy reputation in all of Israel, aligned with Herod Antipas against Jesus. And here they show up together again. And they ask him. They're trying to actually trip Jesus. Why? Pontius Pilate is in town. He's in Jerusalem for this great feast, for this time of celebration. He's there. And so we want to create a conflict between Jesus and Pontius Pilate. And so that's why they come with this question. Should we give pay taxes to Caesar, to the Roman emperor? They ask this question, hoping to turn Jesus into a rebel. And of course, Jesus knows what there's good doing. And he says, oh, yeah, right, guys. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Bring me a. Bring me a coin, and whose inscription, image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. <sighs> and they marveled at him. He gave them a very simple, clear answer, sensible answer. Hey, you know what? Even if it's a pagan guy, don't steal from him. If it's his, it's his. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. By the way, why are the Romans governing them? Because of their wickedness. God actually brought them in to be an affliction on them because of their rebellious spirit. Later in Paul's letter to the Romans, he even says, be sure you pay your taxes. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Paul repeats this later. And they marveled at him. And then the Sadducees, the cultural enemies of the Pharisees. The Pharisees and Sadducees hate each other. They're completely different in their, in their public orientation. But... They have a common enemy in Jesus. He is a threat to both of them. 
the Sadducees came to him, and of course they give this narrative about the woman who marries this oldest son of seven sons, and they all die because they're fulfilling what the book of Leviticus says. When the oldest son died without fathering his son, well, you need to raise up son number two. You need to marry his wife so you can raise up a son in the name of your brother. So his, his heritage won't last forever. And she goes through seven sons. They all die. She dies. Hardy, har, har. These fellow who, fellows who only believe in the five books of Moses because there's nothing in the five books of Moses about eternal life. In heaven, whose wife will she be? And Jesus, there's no marriage in heaven. You know what we say is our marriage ceremony, part of our marriage ceremony, because of what Jesus teaches here? Until death, us do part. Because on the event of the death of one spouse or the other, that marriage has ended and that leaves the surviving spouse free to marry someone else without violating their oath. Because upon the death of the event of the death of one or the other spouse, that marriage is ended. Well, they didn't understand that. And of course, they're trying to create this hilarious conflict. And Jesus says, there's no conflict because in marriage, there's no heaven. Excuse me, in heaven, there's no marriage. Let me get that straight. In heaven, there's no marriage. And are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the Scripture? You do not know the Scripture. This is the high priest. And this is the, the group the high priests are associated. You don't know the Scripture. Nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. The angels don't marry. But concerning the dead, they, that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses, the book of Exodus, ouch, 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 one of those Pentateuch books, Moses walks up to the burning bush. This is a bush that's burning, 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 but not burning up. What's going on? What's going on? He walks up to this burning bush, and God speaks to him and says, take the sandals off of your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. And then God says from that burning bush, I am, present tense, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. Men who had died physically hundreds of years before, but are alive in my presence. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. Oh yes, you Sadducees, you, you governors of this temple of thieves, you are going to have to stand before the holy God and give an account. Ouch, ouch, ouch. And a scribe is standing there. By the scribe, way, the scribes were all over the place as far as the culture. Some of them were Pharisaical. Some of them are like the Sadducees. They're, they're, they're people who inscribe the scripture, but they're also rabbis or teachers. One of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, wow, what a great answer he gave them. And so he answered he heard that he had answered him well, and he asked Jesus, 
what is the first commandment at all of all? And by the way, there's no surprise in Jesus' answer. He points to the Holy Scriptures, to the Hebrew Scriptures. The first of all the commandments is here, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord Yahweh is one, one God, and you shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, with every aspect of your being. You are to love God. You are to serve Him. This is the first commandment, and the second like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are supposed to love, serve those who bear God's image who surround you. There is no other commandment greater than these. And wow, says the scribe. Well said, teacher, you have spoken truth. And Jesus, in the, because of the positive response of this fellow, Jesus says, when he saw that he answered wisely, he said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. What did I reference earlier? There are many Jewish leaders that are secret followers of Jesus. Nicodemus was a secret follower of Jesus. He didn't, in John 3, he comes to Jesus by night, halfway through the Gospel of John. He stands up in the Sanhedrin to try to defend Jesus, gets shouted down. But then at the close of John's Gospel, he's one of the two men receiving Jesus' body. That's when he finally came out publicly, three years later came out publicly with Jesus, identifying with Jesus. There were many of the Jewish leaders who believed, but because they did not want to lose their status in the culture, they did not come out publicly for Jesus. <sighs> Jesus says to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God, after that, no one dared question him. This is blowing up on our faces time after time. Just back away from this guy. Then Jesus answered and said to them while he taught in the temple, how is it that the scribes say that the Christ, the Messiah, is the son of David? Is the Messiah the son of David? Well, yes, humanly speaking, the Messiah is the son of David. We have the genealogy in Matthew's gospel of Jesus' legal father, not actual father, Joseph. That's the genealogy in Matthew's gospel is his legal father, Joseph, who had the right to David's throne. That's the point of that genealogy. So he has, Jesus will claim the right to that throne through his legal father Joseph, of whom is the first legal son. Then the genealogy you find in Luke is the genealogy of David that comes through Mary. So he draws his DNA, is also Davidic DNA. But what does David say of his descendant? The Lord said to my Lord. The Lord said to my Lord. Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David himself calls him Lord. How is he then his son? Now, where we get the power for this is from the Jewish-Greek-Roman culture. In the Jewish-Greek-Roman culture, no father would ever, 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 ever call his son Lord. Period. Over and out. Ain't going to happen. 
that father could be the beggar at the side of the road with the tin cup, and the son could be the wealthy fellow living in the mansion on the hilltop, yet that beggar father will never call his son Lord, because that just doesn't happen. And yet David calls his descendant Lord. How can this be? Because there's something about that son of David that goes way beyond who David is, or the fact that he's simply a descendant of David. He is also God, the son. The son of God. He is the one whom David worships. How can David call him Lord? Because of the outrageous, radical reality of who his descendant is. I will call my creator God. Lord. (laughs) That's not unreasonable. It's contrary to the culture, but it's far from unreasonable. David there, therefore David himself calls him Lord. How is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. Wow, that's cool. We never thought of that. Wow, wow. And by the way, they know who Jesus is claiming to be. Then he said to them in his teaching, if you, if you folks haven't, if you common people surrounded, if you haven't already got this, let me be straight from the shoulder, straight with you. Beware of the scribes. Beware of these people who are constantly trying to draw attention to themselves. What is the behavior of Jesus? He's from Nazareth. He's a carpenter, the son of a carpenter. He is a humble fellow. He will, in the upper room, Wash the feet. He is a servant of servants. What do the scribes desire? They want to have their feet washed. They want the high status in the culture. They want to be admired. Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts who devour widows' houses. Oh, what are they behind your back? They are thieves. Instead of serving the widows, they are robbing widows' houses. And it's interesting because the next paragraph is the widow who gives the two mites. who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They're not praying to be heard by God. They're praying to be heard by you. It's a performance for you, not seeking out God. These will receive greater condemnation. The very people that they have elevated in their culture will be the experience greater condemnation. Ladies and gentlemen, what should this say to us? What does self-righteousness, our righteousness, spell like to God? The scripture says our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And I'm not going to tell you what that means because it's outrageously horrible. What it really means is stench upon stench upon stench I'll leave it there. That's the best 
we have to offer God. He forgives our righteousness as well as our, our so-called righteousness as well as our sins and replaces it with his own forgiveness and righteousness. He's, he wipes the slate clean by paying sin's penalty for us and then by his grace bestows upon us his righteousness, which has a wonderful aroma in the, to the Father. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury and many who were rich put in much, but one, then one poor widow, poor widow, poor widow came and threw in two mites. By the way, they had in the temple, and this was done, on, I don't think it's mandated in Leviticus, I may be wrong, but they had a big, like the bell of a tuba, and it went down, and then it went into the offering plate, the offering box. And people, the, the wealthy people would walk in. They would have their temple coinage. They would dump it out of their bags, stand back, and throw that into that bell of that tuba. It was called the sounding of a trumpet. <laughs> clatter, 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 clatter. What did the widow do? She walked up. Reached in, plink, plink. She wasn't trying to draw attention to herself, but she had God's attention because she gave out of her necessity. She was an authentic worshiper. And Jesus took note of her. It will not be forgotten. They all put out of their abundance, but she out of her Poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. She doesn't have a single thing left after this. That was how authentic her true worship of God was, truly sacrificial. Well, we are coming to the Lord's table. What is this about? God the Son, just a couple of days after the events we've just examined, been examined by, he's going to offer himself up as a sacrifice for his enemies. Isn't it noteworthy that at the Last Supper, Jesus washed the feet of all of the apostles, including Judas Iscariot? He washes our feet and then offers, invites us to accept the benefit. That's what we are commemorating here. With the bread, I am, this, my body is broken for you. The cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Read Jeremiah chapter 31 beginning in verse 31. And 600 years before Jesus' birth, we have the description of the new covenant. I, God, say to you, Israel, I'm going to make a new covenant with you, not like the covenant we made up on Mount Sinai, which you shattered in every conceivable way. I'm going to make a new covenant with you. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will your sins and iniquities remember no more.
All we have to do is have enough faith to hold out the empty hand to receive the benefit. That's all. And by the way, he gifts you with that faith. <laughs> it's all him. It's all him. It's all him. And you discover yourself to be in the kingdom. I'm going to invite Master Reinhold. That is, it is Reinhold. Okay. And Master Castillo to come to the Lord's table and help me. Stephen, would you please give thanks for the broken body of our Lord? Lord God, we, um, we thank you for your sacrifice that you laid out for us, Lord. And, and, uh, sorry, Lord, that it was necessary to be this way, but we thank you again for what you did and mm -hmm. for giving us this opportunity to be have communion, communion with you, Lord, and for this, the body to be with you, God. Amen. Please retain the element until everyone has been served, and then we will partake together. The Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.